does, Matthew chapter 5. As we close our eyes, we'll just do a time of silence just before our King, just as we stand before Him in prayer. Jesus was teaching, it's entitled The Beatitudes, and He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst for what is right. Father, I pray you would feed that hunger within us tonight and fill that thirst to overflowing as we open the truth of your word. And as that hunger and thirst for what is right, as that overflows within our lives, it would flow out into the desperation and the hopelessness and the brokenness of our world. Be the hope that comes alive now in your word for your word is alive and it's active blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for what is right for they will be filled fill each and every story and uh, uh, my name's Steve, I'm a part of the ministry team here at Door of Hope, I hope I met you, it's great to, uh, to meet you and um, we welcome to church in a factory by the way, we do church in a factory, can you believe that and we've been doing it for 16 years and um, we exist for people like Ty and Jesse Sartorio and um, you know uh, we can't get enough of that, those kind of stories and um, we also exist for people who doubt, <laughs> we invite your doubt. We invite your skepticism. We invite you questioning. Why? Because we all do. And that's why we say we're on a mission here to be Jesus-centered, others-focused, but we do it together. And we, we figure these questions out together. We don't all have it together. And that's why we come as God's people to be encouraged by the Word, to sing to him to be filled with those incredible words by the way. Isn't it great to see uh, Lucy over here out stepping out in front of the uh, uh, behind the piano <laughs> alongside Sister Gracie there, of course. And thanks you to Emma, as always, with the team. What a great job! But we're in this series, we're in part three of this series out of this book, based out of this book called A Doubter's Guide to the Bible, written by Dr. John Dixon, good friend of ours here at Door of Hope. 
Uh, over many years, I've known John when he was a singer-songwriter back in the day. He performed at the Albert Hall. Uh, anyway, somebody might, some, I'm sure me wouldn't remember that. But uh, I go way back uh, with Dr. John. Uh, he's a, a theologian, historian, incredible mind. In fact, he's going to be here at the end of May, right, Ben? End of May. And so he's going to be here live morning and night. And we're going to open it up on that Sunday night uh, with Dr. John. And we're going to ask questions, I think, and have a bit of fun like that. But uh, we're taking some time to look at some, just some, of the most important stories, uh, moments, and characters of the Bible, um, and uh, of, of how God planned, and how re He revealed and executed His purposes uh, for the world in which we live. And we realize, we realize, this is an ambitious attempt uh, within the short period of time that we have um, to talk about uh, these kind of uh, stories, but it's an overarching narrative, by the way, I want you to know that, it's an overarching, overarching narrative of the Bible that we're approaching here, it's a, and of course that's a story that stretches from creation uh, right through to eternity, from the book of Genesis right through to the book of Revelation. Um, some of you might be familiar with the word apologetics, uh, it's, you know, we, we're not trying to do that, I want you to know, it's not an exercise in apologetics, which means we're not trying to prove the truth of the Bible through this series. Uh, it's simply an outline for, for curious doubters um, of, of what it might mean for life to be and to look like if it was true. And so part one, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we started this in part one where we said everything is good. Everything is good, and we talked about the creation story and the opening point of the Bible. I'd like you to read with, with me on this. It's on the screen here. Read this with me. We started by saying this. Here we go. A good God created a good world in which He placed good people to do good work so that they could have the good life. I think that's it. Sorry, I said a wrong word. So that they could live. Thanks, Amanda, my assistant. <laughs> so they could live the good life. Let's get that right. And so everything is good, we said. Everything is good. And it is in Genesis chapter 1. Everything is good. It's perfect. And by the way, what we mean by say, when we say the good life, it actually means to live harmoniously. We live uh, in community with God and with others within the physical world. There are three important things as we move forward here tonight that he created for us. And so everything was perfect, it ebbed and flowed in complete harmony, it was beautiful, it was peaceful, it was paradise. There was no sadness, there was no confusion or injustice or disease or death. As I said, everything was perfect. But we don't live there anymore. What's that um, musical or movie? We're not in Kansas. What's that one, you know? Yeah. We're not in Kansas anymore, right? We're not. Here's where we are. We're in between the gardens. We're in between two gardens. I'll explain this as we continue on tonight, because there's another truth about this biblical narrative. And there's this dark thread that we talked about that runs not only through the world, but through the very heart of humanity, which brought us to part two last week, where Tommy shared and Ben shared in the morning, where we said, it's gone from being everything is good, to all of a sudden, suddenly, everything is bad. An horrific reality of uh, for all of humanity. This is the moment that sin entered, invaded, in fact, the world. Where um, 
the perfection ended, curses began, consequences were unleashed, the banished from the garden, and physical death was imminent. And so um, Ben said uh, last week that Adam and Eve's story is now my story, but it's also our story. And John Dixon, in his book, he says this, that we are fundamentally glorious. Don't forget that. Don't go too far in that. Let's take that. We are fundamentally glorious and fundamentally wretched at the same time. You know that hymn, sometimes we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Fundamentally glorious and fundamentally wretched at the same time. Time, but of course, this is only part. This is only part of the biblical story, and this is where hope rises. That He is making all things new, and so God intervenes here because it's His desire to save and not to destroy. And so, let's take hope here that He hasn't des- uh, denied us of our of His best. In fact, I believe, we believe here at Door of Hope, that the best is what? Yet to come. And it's His perfect plan that His purposes stand firm forever. And by the way, this is a love story. The Bible is a love story. But we can't forget that we actually live between the two gardens. All right? I'll explain that as we keep going here tonight. And so, what does God do? Where, Where does He go after this downfall of everything being good to suddenly being bad well this is the next part of the story part three to here tonight where he chooses an individual from whom would come an entire nation and this nation would be the vehicle of his good his good intentions towards all nations and so we enter abraham abraham is a major character in the bible he's the father of faith muslims would acknowledge that Judaism acknowledges that. And Christianity, of course, we acknowledge that as well. He's the father of faith. And that word faith goes hand in hand with the name Abraham. And so this is a new era of human history beginning before our very eyes tonight, in part three, that is. And so before this, though, before this, God, I want you to know, has maintained with the people a, a general, if I could call it a general relationship, a general relationship to the whole human race coming out of the flood, a generous, a general relationship to everybody. But until a very, very significant event occurred in Genesis chapter 11, Abraham's, sto- Abraham's story, his, his name turns into Abraham, it's kind of, I'll just stay with Abraham at the moment, his story um, unfolds in Genesis chapter 12. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 11 where we see the building of the Tower of Babel. This is an overwhelming display of human pride, power, arrogance, and idolatry. And so the general, the general relationship that God has with His people is now shattered. And because of that, because of that, you'll find in Genesis chapter 11, the people get scattered. <laughs> over the face of the planet, in fact. And so because of this, different languages are introduced. Some of you might know this story. If not, stay with me. Because they couldn't talk to each other. They couldn't communicate. But this was the price. 
What was the price for? This is the price for rebelling against God Almighty. And so now you have this world of people with no connection to God or to each other, and they find themselves alienated, given over to their own idolatry. But God has a plan. God has a plan in the midst of this. Mercifully, God has a plan to reveal himself no longer in a broad kind of sense or a general kind of sense. God has a plan to reveal himself specifically. Specifically, what I mean by that, in a sense, through one man, and of course, we're talking about Abraham. And Abraham becomes the father of the people of Israel, and Israel becomes the nation that is the beginning of divine revelation. They will reveal to the world God's plan. And God's plan, by the way, is to send his word, but once again, not in a general way, in a specific way, to his people called Israel, and they will hear his word, they will possess his word, they will inscribe his word in a written fashion, and they will proclaim his word to the nations and to the world, to proclaim that salvation is available and that sinners can be reconciled to God through faith. You'll hear me say the word faith quite a, quite a bit through tonight. Is that all right? The word faith, it's so important because throughout history, there was this confusion that the only way to get to God is through works. But very clearly, the Old Testament and the New Testament, of course, um, you know, fulfills that, that um, the only way to get to God is through faith. So anyway, I've gone off track a little bit. But this flows through Abraham, of course, being the central contact point between God and the revelation of his redemptive plan. All right? And so originally, let's talk about, let's talk about Abraham just for a, for a moment. Um, what do we know about Abra Abraham? First of all, his name was uh, originally Abram. And uh, that meant uh, exalted father, but God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And back then, you've got to remember, uh, your name ac actually represented who you were. Uh, uh, it also represented your character and also your destiny. And so names were a huge uh, thing back in those days. Still very much today, I acknowledge that. Um, but these promises that were made to Abraham were of, of great significance because it's shaping Israel's relationship um, to God for centuries to come. And so if we miss these, we in fact miss the key that unlocks the entire Bible. These promises make the reversal. That which we made uh, come undone, God is now reversing. The, the reversal of the three diminishing elements of human existence. What are they? Well, first of all, spiritual, then social, then physical. These three elements is just so important. And we're going to un unwrap these a little bit here tonight. Is that okay? Are you with me? The first one, spiritually, is what we're talking about, is how we relate to God, spiritually. That's the spiritual element. The second element is how we relate to others. This is the social element uh, and how we connect to our physical world. This is the physical element, of course. But this is the good life. Remember what we talked about? This is the good life. God, others, and uh, our environment, the world in which we live. And of course, this is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Check this out. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, this is pretty big, 
this is a massive calling. Go from your people and go from your father's household to the land I will show you. I'm getting you prepared, Abram, for something significant. I need you to go. You need to go from those three things. He goes on. I will make you into what? A great nation. And I will what? I will bless you. I will make your what and your name great. And you will be a blessing. They're very good. Thanks for coming. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him in faith. This is so simple, but extremely significant to this biblical narrative. First of all, let's talk about spiritual restoration because that's what God's doing. He's restoring us spiritually. Let's go there for a moment. Is that okay? Talk to me. Fantastic. Abraham, he's what? Abraham is chosen by God. Abraham is blessed by God. Why? Because he's better. He's better. He's better than everyone else. He's, he's the most moral person on the planet. He is best of all the pagans. And as you can tell, as I'm describing this, that's not true at all. The Bible does not describe Abraham uh, like that at all. Because it's all to do with grace. It is all to do with God's story, God's bigger picture for the world. Abraham is a recipient of God's amazing grace, but it's by faith that Abraham steps out. And uh, when approached by God, I want you to know there's nothing that indicates that he is righteous. There's nothing that indicates that he is even obedient to God. Even the father of Israel even the father of Israel was not chosen because of his goodness. And by the way, neither is anyone. By the grace of God, Ty, was on your life and has picked you to be one of his, a child of God. And so here we find Genesis 11. The people are scattered. Uh, and and Ab Abraham's one of those. He's a pagan. Oh. By the way, let me explain the word pagan just for a moment. The word pagan actually means those who have different views than yourself. Pretty much that's what a pagan is. Oh, and by the way, we're in fact pagans to others, believe it or not. All right, take that away. That's a, probably a good meal conversation tonight between you. But uh, anyway, so God, God confronts, God confronts uh, Abraham. Abram, with these promises, with these blessings that he doesn't deserve, but to his credit, he responds. Verse 4 says, so Abram what? Abram went as the Lord had told him. Huh. Um, he had no idea where he was going. He was leaving the familiar. He didn't know anyone. He never saw a brochure of Canaan. Wouldn't that have been nice to have seen? He didn't see, he didn't know what the Mediterranean shoreline was going to be like. He didn't see the picture of this great estate that he was going to inherit. But by faith, everyone say by faith. By faith he went. No other explanation other than amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But comes to this pagan, this amazing grace in the midst of hundreds of thousands of people. 
in the area of Eden before the flood, by the way, in sin, immersed in idolatry, singled out. But by faith, Abraham, he left everything. What did he leave? Well, I pointed out those three things that God asked him to leave. He left the the land of his birth. He left his home. He left his estate. Well off, by the way. Family ties, leaving loved ones behind. He left behind comfort. Uh, He left behind the familiar, the safety. Remember, anyone know his age? Yep, he was 75. To embrace total uncertainty. Why? Because the life of faith is willing. Some of you need to hear that tonight. Some of you know you've got a destiny in front of you, but it's going to take faith. I don't have the money. It's going to take faith. I'm not that age. It's going to take faith. I don't have the brains. It's going to take you faith. Someone in this place needs to hear that tonight. Be encouraged by the word of God in your life here tonight. So God enters into a covenant with Abraham, and this is an important concept, by the way. Let's talk about covenants just for a moment. It's important because usually covenants involved both parties building themselves to each other um, for some mutual benefit. Binding is probably a better word um, to each other for some mutual benefit. However, however, this seems a little one-sided. Let's have a look at it. But before we do, um, it's God alone in this who participates, that God is doing good to Abraham. Remember, a good God created a good world. Let's not forget this, in which he placed good people to do good works so they could live the good life. But the question we need to ask, the question we need to ask here, isn't it, is that what, what is God going to get out of this deal? Is that the question we should be asking? Or is it this? Instead of getting, this is what God is giving. (laughs) Again and again and again. He He knows the hearts of humans. And he knows over and over again. It's just that hurt, 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 and hurt. But this is what God's going to give. That he's going to going to bless he's going to bless with his warmth with his love with his mercy and the list goes on let's have a look here genesis chapter 15 verse 9 this can get a little odd all right hang in there we got on the screen. Here it goes. It goes like this. Genesis 15, 9 to 21. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a what? A dove and a what? Young pigeon. Come on. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Oh, picture that. Woo. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Oh, oh, oh thanks to the birds. All right. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a what? A deep sleep, and a, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, this is key, know for certain 
that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated there is the hope. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, you with me, with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land, here we go, the land, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, I will let you say that next one, and Jebusites. <laughs> We're just wanting the Vegemites to be in there somewhere, don't we? We come on. Where's the Aussies? <laughs> you got to laugh sometimes, don't you? You know, <sighs> the Bible. Some of the things you go, what? What's that about? You know. <laughs> uh, but this idea of covenant. Let's keep going there for a moment. This idea of covenant it certainly holds the story together. To what? To bless him. To give him the land. To build him into a community that would what? That would bless the world. And this is where the entire biblical narrative is heading to. And of course, in coming weeks, we're going to talk to you about this. We're going to discover that these promises to Moses, to Israel, to David, they're all the outworkings of this covenant with Abraham, who we're talking about here tonight. Of course, reaching their climax in the promises of Jesus in the New Testament. By the way, by the way, this is a free one. Um, uh, the, uh, the word um, testament is an old English word for covenant. And so every time you say Old Testament or New Testament, you can also say Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so, of course, we're starting to understand, if you don't already, starting to understand what that really does mean. So the promises of Abraham certainly involved more than the renewal of spiritual relationship. It was also about the restoration of humanity with each other, which brings us to the next one, and that's social restoration. God is restoring this world socially. What do we mean by that? Well, God's just not, not just interested in connecting us with Him, but the true faith, true faith is God connecting us with each other. The promises that were made to Abraham, God reveals his intention to gather together a nation. What does it say? I will make you into a great nation. Not to be cut off from or do dominant over other nations, but to be that restored community of good. That vehicle of blessing for others for good. All peoples on earth, God said, will be blessed through you, Abram. And so Israel is a chosen people in order to be that blessing to every other nation. And God is saying to be radically inclusive. Genesis 11, once again, the story of Babel. I encourage you to have a bit of homework and have a read of that one later on, where the nations are scattered. Fascinating story. Genesis chapter 12, God makes his plans to bring all people back together. And this theme weaves its way throughout the Old Testament. But it comes to fulfillment in the New Testament, of course, where Jesus lives, where he teaches, where he dies and rises, not just for his own, uh, fellow Israelites, 
but for the world. For God so loved the world. That's right. Paul puts it perfectly, by the way, in Galatians uh, chapter 3, where it says, understand then that those who have, here's the word, have, have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is Galatians. This is the New Covenant, New Testament. All nations will be blessed, what? Through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And of course, this idea climaxes in the book of Revelation, the last book in the entire Bible, where a vision of people from all the earth gathered together because of Jesus. We pick it up in chapter 7, verse 9, where it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from every tribe. Imagine that. From people. We've got Brazilians here. Yeah. <laughs> and every language. Any other countries here, by the way? You shy little things. That's all right. We'll keep going. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I see that hand. I see that hand. Every nation, every tribe, <laughs> every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, God's desire, yes, is for spiritual, and yes, it is for social restoration to gather all people into a family. And by the way, today, Christianity, of course, is an international multicultural faith not bound by its middle eastern origins and by the way for those who are interested on current trends on current trends china is destined to become the largest christian country in the world and for those who don't know china is an atheistic country that's incredible isn't it that is just so incredible. And so we continue, get this, we continue to witness the fulfillment, well, the, sorry, the, yeah, the fulfillment of the promise that God made that I will make you, Abram, into a great nation. But there's a third dimension to all this important promise, not just spiritual, not just social, but there's a physical aspect to God's plans through Abraham. This is the third and final one. And this is the physical restoration. God is restoring us physically or environmentally, maybe a better word, but Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to where? To the land. To the land I will show you. This is a single command. Um, uh, it's a little vague. Um, and so God shows Abraham a land, and the land is Canaan, and pledges it that it would belong to his descendants. And in fact, by the way, there are uh, physical descendants of Abraham living there to this day, almost 4,000 years later, and that's the land that we know of Israel. This promised land, by the way, is central, this idea of promised land, is central to the Old Testament, I know a lot of Christians have different questions and ideas and thoughts and around that. I'm not going to go into all of that. I'm not here to argue in regards to that. In fact, I'm going to quote from this book. Let's give it to John to sort out. But uh, Dr. John says this. Have we got that there? He says, In the view of the vast majority of Christians throughout history, the promised land is no longer theologically significant at all. It stands only as a marvelous historical symbol of God's desire to restore the whole earth to fulfill his physical purposes 
for humankind. I believe personally that, yes, God is deeply concerned with the physical world that we live in. Why? (laughs) Uh, He created it and declared it as good. Part of the promise to uh, Abraham time and time again throughout the Old Testament is the return of his people to the promised land, as I've mentioned. But in the New Testament, this promise of Eden recaptured with the promises that all creation, all creation will be redeemed. Let's give it to the Word of God to speak to us tonight as we bring this plan into a landing. Check this out, Romans 8, 19 to 21. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory, into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 2 Peter, let's go on to the next one. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, But in keeping with what? His promise, we are looking forward to what? A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, all that is right. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. But here's the climax. In Revelation chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is what's going to happen. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared. I love this. I'll never forget this day. I will never forget this day prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I had tears in my eyes for my bride. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is where? It's now among the people. And guess what? He will dwell with them. But guess what? They will be his people and God himself, this is the NIV, God himself will be with them and be their God. This next verse is describing right now the world we currently inhabit. Wait for it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying. No more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who, oh, oh, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You see, the hope for future presented in the Bible, it's not the Bible, but it's the book, uh, it's the restoration and it's the recreation of the physical world. And by the way, it's not spirits floating around in white robes, playing harps, sitting on clouds, eating cream cheese. It's not that at all. That might resemble, by the way, the hopes of Eastern religions. It's very clear. 
of what God is restoring for us. And I encourage you to do your homework in regards to that. But let me finish by saying this. This all begins when everything was good suddenly became bad. But with Abraham, it's part of God's plan. And his promise to him assures him that the Creator intends to restore not only the spiritual, not only the social dimensions of life, but also the physical creation itself. Let's talk about the two gardens and I'm done. Remember what I said? We are between the two gardens. We are in between the two gardens. The Bible begins with the book of Genesis, set in the first garden of Eden. But let's never forget, let's never forget, it ends with Eden being restored in the book of Revelation. But here's what happens. With our frustrations and our questions and our doubt, we're invited between the gardens to wrestle. And we need to learn to wrestle well. Ask those questions. Question God. Question why bad things happen. Because we're no longer in this garden and we're not quite there in that garden yet. And so your frustrations, your losses, your separations. You see, here's what you need to do. Yes, we acknowledge those feelings. But just like Abraham, we allow faith to lead us well. Why? Why? Here's why. Because God, He is making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.